Uh, some conferences have taken that and, and redone it to their need. So why the importance of the little byline living on one income? Well, first of all, people today say that you, you have to, both people have to work. You have to have two incomes to survive in this day and age. And I'm here to tell you that you don't. So what are the advantages of that? First of all, um, as I mentioned, my wife worked four years full-time and then part-time the rest of the time or not at all. Uh, when our daughter was young, she was able to stay home with her, take her to violin lessons, take her to piano lessons. When school got out, be available there. She was able to do canning. She was able to save money, fix my, my uh, sack lunch or my, to, to take to work. She, was, uh, she sewed clothes and we had a garden and, you know, there's lots of things to do. And uh, we saved that money, the, the other expense that would be related to having another job, the clothes and that type of thing. So my wife has been involved in my ministry uh, my entire life. When we've had a meeting, and thank you, Rick, for coming. I appreciate it. That's an honor to have Rick Russell, our conference treasurer here. My wife has been able to come to meetings when I've gone out to preach as a treasurer in a local conference. I've gone out to preach. She's gone with me, taken our daughter. She's played her violin. Um, uh, if I've gone to meetings during the week, she was able to, to go with me. So it's just been a, a wonderful experience. And uh, so why isn't she here? Well, my wife has uh, encountered a disease called lymphoma. It's a cancer. And she currently, as we speak, is taking chemo, chemo right now. Now, when she encountered this a couple months ago, she said to me that, uh, uh, Denny, I want you to, I, I feel like the devil is trying to, to diminish what you're doing here, going out to the churches and the conferences. So I want you to continue to do this. So I, I laughed when it, we live. <laughs> we live in Atlanta. My daughter, she's tearing up too. Um, we live in Atlanta. So I, I, I left on Sunday, planned to come back on next Sunday. And so I, I ran home last night, surprised her. So she was happy to see me show up for a little bit. But anyway, she's feeling good. She had enough energy to, uh, to make a batch of granola, and she's been out uh, doing some sewing and watching streaming here. So uh, she's just tired with all that uh, chemo that she has to go through. And she's not in the hospital. She, she's an experimental person carrying a bag around with her, and then she goes in every day and gets the bag changed. So anyway, a little little side issue, <clears throat> side issue there, but she's a wonderful wife. Uh, some people say their wives are beautiful. I think it's more important they'd be wonderful because <laughs> beauty sometimes comes and goes. So you need to have a wonderful wife, and I do. And I see another young lady here that I recognize. I don't know if she's just checking me out or what, but... Oh, no. Oh, my. Oh, wow. Well. Well, don't tell, don't tell them about things that you know about me. Okay, good, good. 
All right, so again, for those who are new, I am not a certified financial planner. What I'm sharing is our personal experience through the years, and I want you to study it out for yourself. Um, when it came to retirement, I'll just mention this. When it came to retirement, I had no clue really what to do. <clears throat> I found these books and found a provision. Not a, I, I like the word provision rather than a loophole, but a provision that I could retire and then suspend my retirement and get a benefit for my wife. So we got $10,000 Social Security money as a result of that little benefit. But quietly, the Democrats and Republicans uh, voted that out. That's no longer available anymore. But anyway, that's the importance of reading and studying for yourself. And these are some books that I found to be very beneficial. So today we're going to talk about the big things, the big things that that can make or break people, that can cause a lot of expense. <clears throat> so buying, maintaining, and selling homes, which should be your first home or your only home if you're living on one income? The one on the right. Somebody always says, I like the one on the left. Well, being here in, in Carolina, um, Billy Graham passed away not long ago, as, as many of you are aware. And uh, they had something on the Internet that showed the house of Billy Graham. It was a two-story house. And then they had Joel Osteen's house. Um, Joel Osteen, I think, is one of those prosperity preachers, the ones who says, if you give me money, you will be blessed. Well, his house looks like this, but I think that's maybe the back building and the other building is bigger than that. So that's his, if, if the internet is true, and of course we know that the internet is always true, so that, that, that was the contrast between the two. But our house looks similar to the one on the right. It's a ranch. We said we wanted a one level. So, uh, okay. So what has been our experience? <clears throat> Those of us who worked in the church, pastors, uh, conference workers, we lived in six towns. We rented five houses. We bought two and remodeled them. We had two built and did some of the work ourselves. So we have a little bit of experience, not a lot, but, but probably more than the average person has, has, family has. Again, if you're new, the words embedded in the, the green are the words that you would write in the fill-in-the-blank thing. We're in session two. So if you've got session one, you don't have the right one. This is section two. So... The wrong decision here can have lasting consequences. Uh, it's better to own than to rent. It builds equity. You save a lot of money if you're willing to do some of the work yourself, construction or remodeling. And you always have to think about resale. <clears throat> now, my daddy was a mechanic. I didn't learn too much about mechanics, but I learned a lot about building, just kind of self-taught books, videos, YouTube. So we'll talk about that a little more. So how we can always improve and learn. <clears throat> what we learned, we buy a house with at least three bedroom. Now, let, let me say, when I say you should, or you should never, please understand that this is our experience. It may not apply to you. And you may have done exactly what I said, don't do. Or you may have not done whatever. So Anyway, please understand that I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying this has been our experience, and this is what we found to work, 
and you apply it where you see fit. We like to buy a house with at least three bedrooms, two baths, two car garages, the smallest house in the subdivision, not the largest, because that helps to pull, when you're selling, it helps to pull up the value of your house, if transfer is possible. Some people say, well, we live in the house that we're, I live in the house that we were born in, but you're still going to have to sell it at some point in time. So we have to think about that. Buy a fixer-upper and give it the wow factor, preferably not a corner lot because people like more privacy. Somebody said in, in a seminar previously, said, well, we thought the corner lot was a special lot because it gives you more property. That may be true, but it also gives visibility from two sides, your backyard, for people to look in, and that's not as desirable. So what do realtors say you ought to look for? Three words. Location, location, location. Those of us who have to move from place to place, we say resale, resale, resale. <laughs> we're just a passing through. So we're, this is not our home. We're just a passing through. So we had to think about selling that. So what we continue to learn when buying you must first consider curb appeal. What does curb appeal mean? First impression. That's an excellent thing. First impression. Anybody else? First impression. So when you're driving your car through the subdivision and you stop at the house that's for sale, that's curb appeal. How does it look? Bango. What, where is it at? Now, we have a little house. We have a house. Just a little bit of a, a rise. On the other side, we see the house is, is down in a valley. On the other side of our st street, down in a valley, which do you think would be have the better curb appeal? The one that's higher, especially the house that's down there. Is, there's a creek running through, and, and it could cause flooding problems. So you need to think about curb appeal, your first impressions. But you can give it curb appeal if you when you're selling. You must not buy too unique a house because you will have to sell. Geodesic homes, one on stilts, log cabins. I love a log cabin. I would like to have a log cabin. But when you're thinking about resale, you're thinking about what will fit the majority of the people out there and what would be of interest to them. So a log cabin might appeal to people retiring or whatever, but uh, may not be to everybody. <clears throat> As Dave Ramsey said, the house must have good bones. What are bones? Structure, how it's built. <clears throat> My wife says it should be good material, and I think that's important too. But let's say you open your, your door to your front house, your, your front door, and right there is the bathroom, the guest bathroom. Is that good bones? Probably not. It needs to be maybe an open area that you walk in and you say, wow, okay, the wow factor again. So it needs to be constructed nice. Now, my wife likes a master bedroom here and then the, the, the two guest bathrooms over here, and she likes the laundry over here, so she has to wash clothes. Uh, she doesn't want to disturb the people that may be visiting with us or whatever. So anyway, it, th that appeals to different people. Good bones may be different to different people. Constructed well, designed reasonably well. 
So what we also learned the hard way, the, after a lot of sweat equity, you still may lose money when selling. So we went to, to Massachusetts, Rick. We, uh, we sold our home in Florida. I worked for the Florida Conference for a number of years. Uh, we sold our home, made $30,000 uh, equity above, above and beyond what we had in it. So we rented a house from the conference for a while. It was a chocolate brown house, and Rick probably remembers because he was up there. But uh, it was a chocolate brown house, but it was, it was really worn. Single car garage, the driveway all broken up. <clears throat> we rented it, and there was a provision for the conference where we could buy the, the, tr the house, and they would make it available to us with the op option to ha buy it back. <clears throat> so my wife got... And it, we got there in the middle of the winter time, and somebody had thrown a scarf down in the entryway, and it snowed, and it froze over ice, and all winter long, here was this scarf that was laying at the front there, and we had to step over the ice to get to the front step. It was just not a very attractive home. My wife gets, has dreams. <laughs> I don't know if you ever have dreams, but she woke up one, <laughs> one morning, and she said, I think we ought to buy this house. And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> but, but anyway, we ended up buying the house. <laughs> we tore off the single-car garage. We tore off all the siding on the entire house, two-story cape. My wife and I sided, resided the whole house again with cedar siding. We re-landscaped. We built a two-car garage and... Um, put that $30,000 we made into the house. Now, I'm sure, Marlene, you probably helped us with that, too. We also remodeled the bathroom and all. So we had 30000 in there, and we thought, well, that, you know, we'll be able to get that out. When we sold the house, we lost about $3,000. Not bad, considering, but what I learned was the the... The concept in the Bible talks about putting new wine in old skins. It should be new wine in new skins. Because sometimes you've got to consider the area that you're in and don't put too much money into that to make it a, a glamorous house or a real expensive looking house. Uh, so that's one thing we learned. But uh, if you buy an older home, you may require major maintenance if you live there for several years. Roof replacement, HVAC replace, rotten windows, uh, wooden windows, water lines, septic tank, and water well. And all of those we've had in the house we're in right now. We had to replace our roof. We had to replace our AC and, and uh, 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 furnace. Uh, the water lines, uh, the wood windows rot, and I'll show you what we did to, to fix that. And in Florida, we had a well, and uh, lightning hit a lot of times, so we had to replace that motor a few times. So the benefits of ownership, it builds equity. It gives tax deduction for interest and property tax. It gives you security of ownership. It allows you to design your style, flooring, colors, landscaping. It lets you keep your sweat equity to a certain point, as I mentioned the story. So buying versus renting. I suggest that if you... Buy if you will stay in that place for three-plus years. 
<clears throat> so if you buy a house for $200,000 and you sell it at 6% real, realtor commission, you've just lost $12,000, assuming no appreciation and, no, and it hasn't gone down. However, if you rent for a year at $1,000 a month, you've lost $12,000 as well. So beyond that, you build equity, assuming appreciation or no appreciation. If housing costs down, go down, then you may have a possible loss. So we bought our house in Atlanta um, in 2006. Uh, the price went down. We're still not back up to where it was. We're about $15,000 from where it was when I bought the house. But every year, it improves a little bit because of that, the housing boom. <clears throat> Feel free anytime you have uh, questions, comments, whatever. Responsibility, that, see the underline there? That's the fill-in-the-blank thing. A responsibility of home ownership. You must pay taxes and property insurance. You have to fix things that are broken. You must replace worn-out roofs, paint, plumbing. I just repainted my house. I could do that. Uh, because it's a one-story house and I'm not wanting to get up on ladders very much anymore. So um, I, I repainted it and repaired stuff on it. Um, you have to pay and abide by homeowner association fees and sometimes picky rules. Anybody here have a homeowner association fees? I see a few, okay. We have a, a, a pretty... Uh, average uh, uh, subdivision we live in, but people keep it pretty nice. About every uh, two years or maybe three years, we'll pay $100 or $150 for utilities to keep the sign, the light on the sign going. So we kind of like that, especially if people keep it up. But I've been in places, and we the conference has owned some rental homes, and, and they'll say, you left your trash can out an extra day. You need, you're in violation of the HOA guidelines. You've got mildew in your house. You need to get that or you're in violation. You've got trash or whatever. Just, it can, can be picky rules sometimes. But you have to be concerned about selling. Now in Atlanta, they, they're booming. They're people saying, uh, you know, let us take care of everything for you. Uh, We'll buy your house for you. We'll, we'll move you and all this kind of stuff. But I always heard that, that there ain't nothing, what? Free. There ain't nothing free. Yeah, they'll do that. But at what price will that be? So that's something you have to consider with those uh, no-worry kind of purchases. <clears throat> Pointers on buying a house. If a house, if it is a house... It is a house that you will make into a home. Buy with resale in mind. Don't settle for less house than you need. You will regret it. Make sure that the, the kitchen is large. What is the thing that women look at first in a house? A kitchen. Okay, so make sure the kitchen is large and well laid out. What do men look for? A garage. Okay, so make sure that you have that. So keep that in mind. And understand that the realtor works for the seller. They may be very personable with you, but they don't work for you. You're going to buy a house. Wayne? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Good, good suggestion there. We'll talk about some different 
talents that those realtors have a little bit later. Financing your home. Shop mortgage rates and possible hidden closing costs. Ask for written estimates of everything from the lender. Get it in writing so you know what it's going to cost if you go with them. Purchase home based on the income. And again, this is my opinion. Purchase a home based on the income of the major earners, not two salaries in case one loses their job. You understand what we're talking about there. Try to do it on, based on one. Get a 30-year mortgage with possibility, again, this is my opinion, with the possibility to pay off earlier unless interest rate between 30 years and 15 years is significantly different. Pay based, but then you pay it back on the basis of a 15-year mortgage. Now, Dave Ramsey says, and I'm going to, whenever I say anything different than what Dave Ramsey says, I'm going to try to point that out. But he says, never, never buy, never do 30 years. But what if a person loses their job? So if you've got a very expensive home, you need to make sure that you can keep up the, the mortgage with that. <clears throat> um, consider a adjustable rate mortgage depending on the possible length of stay. Now, I've always been told, again, we talked about yesterday about things that we our parents told us and we learned uh, about buying a used car you know um, but i've always heard never go with an arm an arm an adjustable rate mortgage now my son-in-law and daughter dave dave he likes to to shop around and he's come out really good with those adjustable rate mortgages so if you're a, have the ability to finagle it around then keep that in mind that it should never you should never say no to that but keep that in mind depending on the length of the stay and where the market is and what you can get compared to a fixed mortgage <clears throat> yeah yes Okay. Yes. Yes. Yes, because sometimes that they don't, they don't, they have to apply it towards the interest only or whatever. Uh, yeah, you want to make sure it applies to the principal. <clears throat> now, this is a creative financing option. Um, this is my son-in-law's thing. Um, Secure a 30-year mortgage based on one income. That's the same as what I'm so far. Take the money difference that you would have paid for a 15-year mortgage and invest it in a mutual fund index stock fund. The rationale is it creates cash available fund to allow you to pay off a big chunk or all of the mortgage if needs arise due to death, loss of job, or moving so that you do not have all your funds in real estate and are cash poor. You understand the, the thought there? So you, you take that money you would have paid on a 15-year mortgage and you invest that in the stock market, mutual funds, okay? I had one pastor who said he put all of his money, all of his retirement in his house. All of his money in his house. And, of course, if he had that philosophy... 
Um, during the downturn, he would have not had anything in his retirement plan. So that credit goes to my son-in-law, you can't read it, Dave Colburn, for this out-of-the-box but logical option because you've got to have cash to the side there and you can pay it off anytime. Someone asked me just today, says, uh, <clears throat> are you debt-free if you have enough money to pay off the loan? And I said, you're technically not debt-free if you have any debt, but it may be smart to have cash on the side to be able to pay that off if the difference between what you're making on your investment versus what you're paying on your mortgage is significantly higher. So God gave us these things to use, right? So uh, let's use them. Some more pointers on buying a house. Have an inspection done and use that as a negotiating factor for repairs or allowances. So when you sign the dotted line and you both agree on a price, you're locked in, there's no change, right? No, you're not locked in. If you have a provision to do an inspection, you're buying a house, when you do an inspection and they say, you know, your roof is really in bad shape, there's a leak in your, in your basement, uh, all this kind of stuff, and you say to the, the seller, I need you to pay for you know, $10,000 for the roof, I need you to pay $5,000 for the other, and if they say no, cancel and everything is void, you get out of the contract. So there's that little provision there. Now that's true on the other side too. You sell, somebody says, well, we have a contract on a house. Well, do they have a provision for inspection? It may still be subject to, to uh, negotiation at that point if they refuse to, to do that. Check the neighborhood before you make an offer. Uh, safety noise, uh, lack of garden upkeep, uh, traffic at different times, you need to check those things. Make an offer less than what the selling price is. They pad the price expecting a lower offer. And if you're building, we're not going to cover any of that. That's a whole other class just in itself, building. And I'm, I'm certainly not qualified to do that, even though I have built, had built a couple of homes. Some, some more pointers on buying a house. Uh, one level ranch has a more selling appeal than two. So I have a, a family member. <coughs> that uh, could never have their mother stay with them <clears throat> because all the bedrooms were upstairs, an elderly mother, all the bedrooms were upstairs. Two-level home, everything, the kitchen and the living room, dining room, all downstairs, but all the bedrooms were upstairs, so they could never stay there. So that appeals to elderly people, to parents uh, physically challenged, and we lived in a house in Massachusetts that had, we had an upstairs and we had a basement. The, in the basement was the laundry and upstairs were the bedrooms, uh, the, the spare bedrooms. So my wife was going up and down, up and down, up and down. She said, no more, at <laughs> one level. Uh, we do want a, a basement. We don't have a basement now, but our next house, we want a basement. Tornado, have you heard about all the tornadoes? I'm thinking the Lord's about to come. You know, what is there, fifth? 25, 50 tornadoes in Ohio alone in that area, just, just the, the news. So I like to have a little protection there, a 
nice cool storage. Right now, we're having to go up the attic. You know those attic, those attic doors that have the skinny ladders? I am carrying, I'm sorry, I'm carrying stuff up and down that thing, and I'm thinking, man, it's nine feet down there. If I slip on this thing, I'm, it's going to be a lot, <laughs> some expense, medical expense for me coming down. So uh, we don't have much storage area where we're at, so we want a basement next place. <clears throat> Maintaining a home, in order to preserve the value, you must maintain the property. Do your own maintenance if possible. Keep landscaping shaped, attractive, most trim, fertilize, weed, take care of the drainage, paint every five, seven years, whatever. Caulking, I love to caulk things. I love to prep. The prep is the most important part of painting. Whoops, what did I do? Oh, I had a button. I didn't know that button blanked out. There we go. Okay, uh, Okay. maintaining a home, uh, you have to, we've talked about the, the maintenance there, but look there, insure for replacement coverage, not actual. So what is replacement coverage? Is that the same as market value? No. So let's say you bought a house, a fixer-upper house, and it cost $100,000, and you want to insure that. But to build that in today's dollars with today's labor and materials, it may cost $200,000. So if you re get replacement coverage, then that would give you $200,000 and you could either rebuild it back if it burned down or go somewhere else and, and build. <clears throat> and it's not subject to depreciation, actual value is depreciating. You don't want to take the hundred thousand dollars and depreciate. Yes, comment. Yeah, you want to ask them. Just make sure. Yeah, make sure. Just ask them. Make sure that that replacement coverage. When? The insurance company also tells you what replacement possibilities for your house. Okay. Yes, by based on square footage, in that that county, city, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. Very good. Okay. Adding value to a house. Be sure we talked about remodeling. If you're going to remodel the kitchen first, bedroom, master bedroom, bathroom, exterior appearance, landscaping. But if you can do the work yourself, you can save big on that. Some pointers on selling a house. You're, now you're going to sell a, house, a home, making an appeal. Give it, give it the wow factor. So I, I, re, I painted, we have a brick front on our house. I painted the front door uh, a burgundy, kind of like this color, but a little prettier, shinier than this. It just gives it that little bit of pop, just a little bit of paint. could be very simple. Um, fix the eyesores, curb appeal. Make sure your grass is cut, your bush is trimmed. Stage your house. How, how many of you watch the television program HGTV? Oh, yeah. That's our, kind of our favorite one. <clears throat> and, they, and what is staging? Is what? Staging is putting, putting some... Uh, some furniture in there may not be your furniture, but if it was empty and you they could bring it in on HGTV, has rent bring furniture in and sell it. 
Do you think it's better to have a house with furniture in it or to be empty? Furniture in it because empty is going to show all those little stains and the marks on the wall and the crayon, you know, the kids did and that type of thing. So, so if you have something in there. Now, uh, store the excess stuff somewhere else. We like to take to our daughter and her husband uh, some of our stuff because he's saying, don't bring any more stuff. <laughs> we got enough stuff. <laughs> but put that in the garage. Get that stuff out of the way. Put, don't put it in the hallway. Put it in the garage. Uh, have a clean house. Nothing in the sink, nothing on the table, no boxes in the hall. Get rid of the cute little knickknacks. They don't care that you have 16 grandchildren. You're not going to impress them. It's going to clutter their mind. Get that stuff out of there so they can put their mind into that, into that area. <clears throat> Make room for their furniture mentally. Uh, get at least three realtors to give you a proposal on how much and how they will advertise. So this is something I learned. So we moved from Montgomery, Alabama to Atlanta. And there was an Adventist uh, realtor there in Atlanta, and he said, well, now you, when you go back, we... We were buying our house from with him. He was well-respected. <clears throat> he said, go back and look for three realtors that, that do things in your area and ask them to give you some quotes. So I'm going to give you, we only ended up with two, but I'm going to give you a, a visual thing if you just look this direction. So one, one fella came in and he said, I would list your house between 165 and 185,000. Okay, got that? Kind of mentally picture, 165, 185. A lady came in and she said, your house and your property looks like a garden. You've got a picket fence. You've got a nice, beautiful little gingerbread shop you built. Um, I'd suggest 205 to, two, to 215. Okay? Same house. Two different realtors. And she said she's going to put flyers in the front. She's going to put the ad in the newspaper, and and you know what it sold for? Two ten. Now, what if I had gone with this one here? The highest would be one hundred eighty-five. It may have sold like that, but what is the difference in that? Let's see, two ten, uh, twenty-five thousand dollars. Well, twenty-five thousand may not be much to you, but to us, that's a lot of money. Just by selecting the proper realtor and seeing what they will do for you. Understand there are realtors that sell and realtors that help you buy. So this, this Adventist gentleman in Atlanta, he had been in construction before. He had rented, built homes and rented homes. He could walk into a place and he could say, I see you have... Uh, you have this uh, class action suit siding on here, and here's some hardy plank. I said, huh? <laughs> what is that? What does that mean? He said, you know, so uh, he could tell. He could give you pointers, and he helped our daughter and her husband find a home, too, that they, they like. So he helps to evaluate. That is the one you want to help buy, help you to buy the house. Now, you want somebody like this lady that was, is a marketing person that will will sell it for you. So keep in mind, they're talented people. And as Dave Ramsey said, <clears throat> don't get your cousin Joe to do it just because 
he just got his realtor's license and he needs some money. You want to sell that house, you want to get as top dollar as you can. Some more pointers on selling. Understand this is not a, an emotional thing, it is a business. Be willing to negotiate by counter-offering even if they make a ridiculous offer. So let's say you have it listed for $200,000 and somebody makes an offer for one hundred and ten. dollars should you just ignore it? No. You need to counter. What I would do, instead of coming down that far, I'd maybe say counter instead of 200, 195. That tells them you're not, you're not desperate. You, you want them. And then they may come up to 180. or They're testing to see how, how desperate you are. There are signs in Atlanta that say, we buy ugly houses. Now, do they have any like that here? Now, do you think you're going to get top dollar for your ugly house? You've already agreed that it's ugly because you're calling them. So you want to get rid of it. So you don't, you, you don't, uh, so don't, don't call those people. Don't call those people. Um. Make sure the closing date works for you with your schedule to move. And that's always a challenge. We had two weeks between me sold a house and bought a house. Closed, bang. So we had to get in there and paint it and make all the changes and get out. And, and all. that was uh, quite interesting, but it worked out good. Sometimes we had purchased a homeowner warranty as an incentive for any possible HVAC or mechanical breakdown. The experts say doesn't make any difference. But... I, I disagree because if I'm buying a house and that's the frosting on the top that says if anything breaks down, you're going to have a year to cover it. Does that sound good to you? And to some people that will appeal. So I, I kind of disagree with that. And it costs about three or $400 maybe for that. Yes? Uh, whatever the policy says will do that. If they're in violation, they're in violation of the insurance commission, whatever. There you go. <laughs> read the read the detail. Yes. That's right. There you go. There you go. Okay. So any any questions on housing before we go into cars? And I know I know Leonard here has come just for the cars, because he's a car man. <laughs> just a, a, an observation that has served me well is making sure that you can afford the house you're getting. Mm. You, you mentioned some rules of thumb there. I know Dave Ramsey would say, you want to, he wants you to own a house. You want to own a house, you just don't want the house to own you. Mm. And uh, I think his suggestion is, Never put less than twenty percent down. Make sure your monthly payment is no more than twenty-five or thirty percent of your purchase. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you can do that, I think you have room for life beyond ownership. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. You're pretty generous as well. Good thought. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Sharon. On the homeowner in uh, warranty, our son had just bought his first small house that needed a lot of work on it. 
but he had that insurance and he claimed multiple times. One was his wiring was mm. very defaulty mm. and that was a five thousand dollar job. Oh wow. He didn't have to pay for it. And wow. Then his homeowner's warranty and he had multiple in fact they stopped sending him renewal notices. <laughs> I hope you heard this. Her her son had the the insurance, got it when they bought the house, five thousand dollars worth of rewiring and and he has he still has the one insurance, but he keeps up with when it's due. Okay. He pays it Very good. All right, all right. That's that's one option. So it worked out well for them. <laughs> good. All right, so we're switching to cars now. We've got a half an hour. Buying, maintaining, and selling vehicles. Which should be your first car or only car? Oh, okay, come on, somebody say red, the red one. But you can get the one on the right in red too, right? <laughs> so I think that's a Lamborghini. I've seen maybe one or two of them in my lifetime. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, great-looking cars. Okay, so buying versus investing. Investing is the, is the word here. Investing is something we plan to increase in value for future benefit. We buy houses, we buy stock, we buy bonds. They appreciate, they go up in value. Buying, however, is something that we think we need that we either use, we eat, or lose as value, such as vehicles. They depreciate. I was talking with somebody yesterday <clears throat> about a vehicle. <clears throat> Consumer Report says that 22 in the first year, a new car will depreciate 22% in the first year. It's better to invest than to buy. <clears throat> so the first thing I would do is ask myself, do I need another car or maybe do I need a second car? Is it because I'm tired of the old one? Is it because it's costing more to repair? Is it because I need something more dependable? Is it because I want something sporty? Want something. Remember that this vehicle only depreciates. <clears throat> Can I afford one now? What kind do I need? And then go on to the next step. <clears throat> the second thing I would do is once I have rationally, again, God gave us this thing to use, rationally determined why I need another car and what kind I need, does that car does the, the repair warrant replacement. So the car I have, is, is it something that, that can be replaced or is it going to be a continual problem? A few repairs alone can be a whole lot cheaper than a, than a, a, a loan and a, a car payment. So what I do, and I, I said I do not sell anything in this seminar, but I'm going to promote some things. And what I'm promoting is a Consumer Report magazine. It costs $30 a year. <clears throat> it covers all kinds of things. You'll hear me talk about this more than once. But in addition to the $30 a year and 12 of these issues, in December you get this little book. Anybody here subscribe to Consumer Report? Okay, got a few. All right, so we got some believers. <clears throat> but... In the back of this, I told you that you're going to, I'm going to save you, I'm going to give you, pay you, help you save, $1,000. <laughs> so in the back of this, 
is a list of all the cars, domestic and foreign cars, for the last six years and 17 frequency of repair issues on every single car, every single model of car. <clears throat> okay? And I suggest picking a car, a vehicle with excellent history and dependability and good resale. So here's what it looks like. Now, <clears throat> again, I'm not picking on anybody's car. I know we've got, I'm sure we have some people here with some BMWs, but I want you to see this, and it may be a little hard to see because some of you are way in the back, but I'll use my pointer here. So here is, here is a two down arrows. That means very, very bad, much worse than average. The one down arrow is worse than average. The straight line up and down is average. The one up arrow, one up arrow is better than average. Two up arrows are much better than average. So now I'm looking at this Bavarian Motor Works. I think that's what it's, the name is, Bavarian Motor Works, the excellent car. <clears throat> and I see that, that that Series 5, and I'm just picking on one, the Series 5 has worse than average for the year 2011, much worse than average for 2012, and just average for 13, 14, 15, and 16. Now, is that a premium vehicle? So now, it's touted as, as a premium vehicle, but... <clears throat> I'm going to pay a premium price for that vehicle. I may pay premium gas for that vehicle. I'm going to pay uh, premium repair for that vehicle. And look at the repair, the things that, that I'm going to have to pay for that. And I was talking in my last seminar, I was talking with the father and, and their son had just graduated from, from college and he said, I am going to buy a BMW. Again, I'm not picking on BMW. I was just talking about one since it, it, one here. <clears throat> and he bought that vehicle, and of course, premium gas, premium price, everything. And then periodically, he had to pay a a um, a tune-up fee. The tune-up fee was fifteen hundred dollars because it has to run optimally. The engine has to be in optimum shape for that to really be the vehicle it needs to be. Have you heard that before? <laughs> $1,500. He said, Dad, I didn't realize it was this going to be this expensive. And then if you have that, I've got a neighbor down the street from me uh, that, that drives a Jaguar, a nice Jaguar. I'm thinking, uh-huh, yeah, I remember what the frequency of repair for that Jaguar is. <laughs> like, like mostly bad. So now what I buy is one I go here to here, and I look at Hondas, and I look at uh, Toyota Camrys, and I see right across Toyota Camry. Okay, here's, here's, this is 2019. It's a new book. Toyota Camry, much better than average, much better than average, much better than average, much better than average. Is that six? Much better than average. Now, is that the one I want? Yes, at least something like that. Now, um, American cars, 
as the American cars in here, some of them are, are really bad. And some of the foreign ones, you just have to look. Different models and different vehicles, but you can save thousands. So we've owned six Toyota Camrys in a row. Uh, our last payment was 1985. We've had that much engine problem and that much transmission problem on those vehicles. And I'm going to share with you what we have done. So mentally, we have agreed that we will keep this car for about 10 years. Now, mom and dad told us, and we've heard that a car, when it gets to what mileage, we need to get start get rid of it? $100,000. $100,000. I got money on my mind. 100,000 miles. Okay. But that's, bare, that's where you kind of break even. It's beyond that that you get the savings, the 200,000 miles. I like to get a larger vehicle for safety. I bought a little, little small little car one time. It, I, I was just learning and I was single and I thought I'd save money and I got this cheap car and it, it had been smoked in and it didn't save me any gas. It was just nasty. I got rid of it as soon as I could. But I like a larger car. Uh, we're constantly hauling things. We've got to make room for the grandkids. We've got to get seats, a large trunk. And I got, and Leonard, I, I had a friend uh, help me to buy a, a rebuilt car. I thought, well, hey, this is great. So I got a, a, an Acura. Oh, it was a beautiful car. It just drove fantastic. <clears throat> but the color of it was black, and the interior was black leather. And we lived in Montgomery, Alabama, and it was six degrees warmer there than it is in Atlanta, and probably six degrees, probably 12 degrees <laughs> warmer than here. So every time you got in there, it's like you baked. So... My wife didn't care for that vehicle, and even though I loved to drive it, and it worked fine, it did a good job rebuilding it, we sold it just because the, the heat was so in intense in there. <clears throat> but I love that car. Purchasing car, after you've selected the model and the year you think you'd, uh, will work for you, go to www.kbb, that's Kelly Book, Blue Book. Thank you, thank you. I got some people to help me here. Kelly Blue Book, to see what a private sale car should cost. All right, that should, give you, that should be your goal to come close to pay that price, not the dealer retail price. Don't lease, no residual value, and it's more costly. And all kinds of fees, and they give you a certain amount, and you have nothing left after the two or three years you have rented that car. So what, what I have done is try to buy a low-mileage car, maybe under warranty, still under the 36,000 miles, a used car with high dependability. And again, a Toyota, you can't do that much damage in 36,000 miles to it because it just... So I buy, I buy a, a car in that area. Decide some colors that you would like. Don't, if you just go with one color, it may be forever finding it, but pick a few colors you, you, would, you would like. And then go to Auto Trader or some other website and for cars in your easy driving area. 
Go to a major dealer. Now, this is something we've, we've learned. This is, this is an interesting thing. Go to a major dealer. Uh, small shops tend to buy and sell less reliable auction cars. Now, some people ask me, well, if you have somebody who can go to the auction and buy a car for you, if, if that, that's maybe fine. If they really know their business, I don't think you can test it out too much, an auction car. You kind of see it, maybe turn the engine on, and you buy it as is. <clears throat> some of those are flood cars. Some of those are cars that are damaged and smoke uh, cigarette uh, burns on the seat and things like that. Yes? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Um, if not savvy, personally ask an experienced friend to help. So sometimes when you go in there, it's you know, um, it's hard to negotiate with them. Major dealers have a reputation to maintain. So if possible, buy from a dealer that doesn't carry that brand of car new. They're motivated to sell. So the last car I bought, well, the car I bought, <clears throat> I went to a Dodge dealer. And <clears throat> I checked the auto trader, got several of them together. <clears throat> and I took a clipboard. And I said, today I'm going to buy a car. You give me your best price. Yeah, I'm not a very good negotiator. I, I don't know how to bargle and haggle. My son-in-law and his dad taught him this, but I'm not a haggler. So I just say, give me the best price. I'm buying a car today. I'm looking at three cars. You give me the best price. Okay. They say, we've never had anybody come with a clipboard before. <laughs> just blows their mind. They say, oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, but we found that, that they don't know what that car is. Now, I like Toyota Camry, so I go in there. I know what's there. It's got... The cruise control, it's got the, uh, it's got, and the LEs have uh, cruise control and the automatic windows and electric windows and this basic stuff I need. <clears throat> so I go in there and I look at this car and I really like, and we, we, luxury, we decided we get a moonroof this time. We're getting, before we die, we need to get a moonroof. A little luxury, talked about that yesterday. <clears throat> so I found one <clears throat> and, um, and I really liked it. It looked really nice. Well, he found out it, it had been hit in the back, so there was no tag, there was no emblem on the back. didn't say what kind of car it was. I said, man, this car really looks nice. L.E. They advertised it in L.E. <clears throat> so I bought it, negotiated a little bit, bought it, and I took it into the dealership, still under warranty, had something done. I said, tell me about this car. What is this? And they said, well, okay. You have an L. You have the S C E and the S the L E, and then there's an S E, that's the sport edition, and then there's an X L E, which is the luxury. luxury. 
And he said, Mr. Milburn, uh, you don't have an LE, you have an XLE. I said, oh, okay, great. So I bought the car as an LE, but it's an XLE. So they don't know what it is. But if you go loaded with information of what you want, then you know how to negotiate and you know what's a good deal. <clears throat> Make an offer knowing that they counter-offer. Know your limit and try to stay close to the private sale. If it's a perfect fit for you, spend a little more. You've got to live with it. Now, I went to the, some of the, the cheaper auction cars, <clears throat> some of the smaller dealers, and they, and they, uh, they had some cigarette burns on the, on the thing. They were cheap. But I said, every time I get in the car, I'm going to look at that cigarette burn. Am I going to be happy? No. So try to do the best you can and be happy with it. Rely on women's tuition. Remember, she needs to drive it too. If the spouse goes along to look, agree that you will, how you will respond. Neither should look or act or talk excited about anything. Now, if one person says, man, I, I really, that, this is just the car we've been looking for. What does that do to your negotiation? It's dead. So we went with our daughter and her husband and three grandkids. We said, children, you're going to say nothing. <laughs> you're not going to say anything. You can crawl in there. You can sit down in the seat, but do not say anything. So we trained them right, and they got, they got a vehicle, and Dave negotiated them down <laughs> for the van he got. But uh, another option, uh, I remember getting in the car, uh, going to my wife and looking, and, and uh, <clears throat> I was getting in the car like this. I... I closed the door. I don't know why I closed the door. I was sitting in the driver's seat. She was outside here, and the, I can see the salesman in front of the car. And the last thing I heard him say was, well, ma'am, what do you think about the color of this car? And so afterwards, I asked her, well, what did you respond? And she said, I, to me, it's just transportation. I said, yes. <laughs> you got to work together. You got to work together. Remember that most dealers make more money on a loan, so best to shop elsewhere for a loan prior to this ne dealer negotiation. Maybe you'll get a better deal there, but do your work ahead of time. If you can't pay cash yet, try to keep the loan to three years. Then after the three years, pay yourself in savings so that you can pay cash and negotiate a cheaper price next time. So if you keep it for 10 years, you pay it off in three years, you can buy two cars for cash, right? Because you've saved for seven years. If you have low frequency of repair car, you don't need a service agreement, which is a big money dealer maker for dealers. So I got to tell you this this story. <clears throat> so we were looking, we were, in a, we were in a Chevy dealership with our, our daughter and her husband, <clears throat> looking for a Toyota Sienna van. And uh, so I see this Corvette here. Here's a Corvette, uh, sixty thousand dollars, brand new one. Here's a four year old uh, Corvette, looked about the same condition. $40,000, $5,000 a year depreciation for that. And I did the quick calculation. I said, okay, five times 40, if I bought cars and it depreciated $5,000 a year, in 40 years, it'd be $200,000. That'd be, that'd be your retirement, just in playing with cars. <clears throat> but next to that car 
was won $107,000. It was the, the supercharged thing. It had everything in there. And I looked on there, and it had a, a line item I've never seen before. It was called $1,300. It was called the gas guzzler tax. A gas guzzler tax. $1,300. You paid for that. $107,000 for that. Maintaining your vehicle, you must do preventative maintenance for three reasons. Preserve the value, reliability, and safety. Preserve value, reliability, and safety. In reverse order, of course, we need to make sure it's safe. Change oil at recommended time uh, yourself with synthetic. I've gone to synthetic. I used to change it every 5,000 miles. And, and now I've got a 15,000-mile warranty on the, on the synthetic oil. I change it every 10,000 miles. I change it when the odometer is in 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. I just, I, it just helps me to remember to change it sometime around the multiples of 10 when I get in there. So I change it less often, but costs twice as much, but saves time to change it less often. Make sure the tires are evenly worn, balanced, and aligned. You can get an upfront fee for lifetime service. Firestone sells a lifetime balance and wheel alignment. You don't have to buy the, uh, you don't have to buy the tires there to get that. So I buy it, keep it for 10 years. I can take it in every month and have an alignment and wheel balance done. And it costs maybe, I, I'm just off the top of my head, about $150, $60, for this lifetime balance and alignment. <clears throat> but it costs you about half that to just do it once. So now when you go in there, they're going to tell you your, your, your uh, uh, filter needs to be changed. Uh, yeah, your wiper, whatever. So I just tell them, oh, I do that myself. And so, okay. Or you need a mechanic. There's something with the tie rod in. I don't know anything about cars, but tie rod in. I said, well, I got a, trust, I got a mechanic I'll take to. Okay, fine. So they, that, that's what they try to do is sell you stuff there. But keep, keep that in mind. Maintain the fluids, the filter, and air related yourself. That's something anybody can do. Uh, the, put, put water in the, in the uh, um, reservoir. Yeah, you can change your radiator thing. <clears throat> Antifreeze oil. I do all of that. I used to do a brake job uh, on my car, my disc brakes. I used to change calipers. <clears throat> used to do the drum brake. And then later on, I, I found a couple of extra parts left over in the box. And I said, you know, I wonder where that goes. <laughs> Did I miss something? <laughs> so, so I've kind of advanced and, and luxury now to take it and have somebody do it for me. <laughs> uh, maintain your vehicle. Change the transmission and brake fluid. Spark plugs at least every 100,000 miles. Check whether you have a timing belt. Some are rubber. Some are chains. Do you make sure you change, if it's rubber, you make sure you change it. Just look on your guideline and find out what you have. Or you can ruin an engine. Replace the antif antifreeze every two years. You can do it yourself. Um, get a reliable mechanic for things you can't do. Wash the car when needed. Wax it a couple times a year. Um, uh, ensure for liability collision and comprehensive, comprehensive regardless of value. People say, well, when it gets down to a couple thousand dollars, I don't, I don't get collision and, and comprehensive on it because, yeah. I'm saying, well, if I'm paying $50 a year and it crashes and I have a $500 deductible, I, I don't, there's still $1,500 I could get out of that. So 
I, I do it until I sell it. Now we're going to talk about selling. Sell it when it's running good, is reliable, has good value that you can honestly recommend it. Again, I try to sell it at 200,000 miles. The Toyota Camry can run 300 or more thousand miles. So get the Kelly, um, Kelly Blue Book price for private sale. <clears throat> clean and detail the inside and out. Now, is it, is it wrong to clean it up and shine it up? No. You're just... Yeah, curb appeal, yeah, you're just getting it really looking really nice. <clears throat> Put preservative on the vinyl and the leather and, and all. <clears throat> yes? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, that's good. That's good. Ah, ah, good. Yeah, because the carpet gets ingrained with the, the stains and all, so yeah, you've got to try to keep it, keep it up. <clears throat> okay, and then I take that Kelly Blueprint price and I post that in the window. And I sell it myself. <clears throat> uh, and people say, well, I don't, I don't want to sell it. But it, again, it'll be... Anywhere from $1,500 to $3,000 difference if you sell it or you trade it in. Marlene, you want to tell them? I know what it is. So Dave sold his, his vehicle. They were giving $1,500 for a trade-in. You know how much he sold it for? A little over $4,000 just because he cleaned it up really nice. And put a for sale sign. I don't know if you put the Kelly book price in there, but but he sold it. <clears throat> Accept cash only. Do not do not take a a a, a bank check because some bank checks are fraud. Cashiers checks some of them are fraudulent. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so fifteen hundred dollars, seven percent of fifteen hundred dollars is what? I don't know, hundred hundred bucks. Yeah, hundred bucks versus yeah, yeah. That's right. You you have to consider all those things. Yeah. Very good. So where was I at? A cash, cash. So cashier's checks just because they give you a piece of paper. I want to go to the bank. With them, if they don't have the the hundred dollar bills to give me, I want to go to the bank with them and get that. But best to take two people. Two people. Remember the Craigslist problems, and yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. I, I like the money in my hot hand. And usually when I sell the Camry after 200,000 miles, it's like $3,000, $3,500, something like that. It averages out about 1000 to $1,500 depreciation a year for the use of that car. So, so I just like cash. Cash is good. And then I don't have to worry about it. <clears throat> 
So the new status symbol, as Dave Ramsey said, your status symbol, it is not the BMW in your garage, but a paid-off car and eventually a paid-off house. Oh, what a relief it is. Paid off. Paid off. I think that's the last one. Everybody's folding up their papers, so they must have come to the end of the line here. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm going to say what evangelists usually say. You know, you don't want to miss tomorrow. If you're going to miss any, you should have missed today. But you've got to be here tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, my daughter says, tomorrow is the fun time when, when you deal with all the other things and, and more stories. So anyways, that's what she told me yesterday. And she's heard this before. So she's heard my preaching umpteen times when I preached in churches too. So thank you all for coming. Any questions or comments? We got uh, two minutes left. Yes. Yes. And when you sell them, you typically get more money, too. Yes, Bill? The downside of that is you don't get to see your repairman very much at all. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> Sharon? We've had eight or nine of the Corollas. Corollas? Hardly any repairs. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. I, I'm, getting, I'm getting warranty... Warranty things in my 2011 Camry says uh, in the mail saying that, that uh, your, your service agreement is about up. I'm thinking, I never bought any service agreement. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I don't buy any service agreements for anything. They're a waste of time. But they want me to buy that 2011. Now. I'm sorry? Yeah. No, you, you buy it for the, the other... The other cars, yeah. I'm on the bandwagon of Camrys because I own three and I have one. I used to work with Leonard. We used to work together. And so the other thing about Toyota's, it's for the price for what you pay, it's amazing. You have very little repairs throughout its history when you have it 10 or 20 years, like I usually do. And the residual, or not the residual, but the value at the end, like you were saying, you get a lot of money back at the end, even 20 years later. Also, if you look at consumer reports, and, uh, not Dave Ramsey, but uh, Clark Howard, the one I listen to every week, he talks about it when it comes out every year in the consumer reports, and generally out of 25 cars, at least 17 to 21 are Toyota's or Lexus of the top cars. Mm -hmm. Least mm -hmm. expensive or least cost to maintain, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very good car. <laughs> if any of you want to check out what your car is, just to know kind of your condition, you're welcome to look at my book here. Also, just an advertisement, 
Um, I'm a woodworker. I'll talk about that a little later. Uh, I've built an ark. It's in the ABC. I'm going to be showing it at uh, primary department at 7.30 tonight. Uh, Noah, Noah is going to be there with his animals. And um, early teens, uh, I'll be showing it there on Thursday night at 7. So anybody who would like to uh, see that. And I have these two books here, <clears throat> but I'm not helping the ABC. I won't tell you, Rick, what arrangement we have, but I'm not helping. They're, they're, they're selling these less than what uh, I uh, uh, got them for. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much and hope to see you tomorrow. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Yesterday.